Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Could I have your attention, please? We are about ready to begin our program. Good evening, everyone, and a special welcome to treatment professionals, advocates of recovery, and distinguished guests representing the legislature from King County. Welcome, one and all, to the 19th annual King County Mental Health and Substance Abuse Legislative Forum. Great to have you with us tonight. My name is Neil Scott from Sports Radio 950 KJR. I am also the producer and host of Recovery Coast to Coast, a nightly two-hour radio talk program that deals exclusively with addiction and recovery. Been on the air now for the last 10 years, and uh, it's on Monday through Friday from 10 to midnight on 8.50 a.m. in Seattle and available uh, on the Internet as well. I have been honored and privileged uh, to be a facilitator at this annual legislative forum for the last eight years, and it is something I look forward to every single year. Portions of tonight's forum will be broadcast on Recovery Coast to Coast in the next month or so. And tonight's forum is also being recorded for KCTV. They will air it sometime in the near future. I would like to begin with a moment of silence for those who are still in the throes of their disease, who are still out there, still sick, suffering, in need of our help and support. I ask that you call to mind and to heart someone you know or love affected by mental illness or substance abuse. Hold them close in your heart as we respectfully observe a moment of silence. I thank you. We are all here tonight together as part of this exciting and growing recovery movement. Recovery is indeed an American way of life here in King County. My legislative friends, tonight you're going to see hear and feel what successful treatment is all about and what long-term recovery is and that prevention works, that treatment is successful and that recovery is a reality. And again, I'd like to remind you to, uh, to, to everybody kind of move in if you can get a little extra space. We still have some people looking for seats out there. This is kind of like a Southwest Airlines flight, you know? All the seats are going to be filled, so you might as well move in and, and get a good seat. Welcome to the legislators, other elected officials, special guests, and community members. If there are any more legislators, by the way, or county council members who may be in the audience, uh, maybe you came in just a few minutes ago, please come forward to the stage. We're going to meet the legislators on stage in just a moment, but as we get started, we would like to acknowledge some other elected officials who have joined us in the audience tonight. When I call out your names, would you please stand as a group so people can know who you are? Audience members, please hold your applause until the end. Judge Susan Craighead, Judge Johanna Bender, Judge Michael Finkel, Judge Donna Tucker, Judge Carly Jorgensen, Mayor Dave Hill from the city of Algona is here tonight, and Mayor Nancy Bacchus from the city of Auburn. Councilmember Lisa Jensen from the city of Newcastle. Councilmember Terry Potmire from the city of Mercer Island. And Councilmember Benson Wong from the city of Mercer Island. Would you please give them a round of applause? And we'd also like to acknowledge some government leaders who are our key partners. 
and are here with us as well tonight. We appreciate their attendance. When I call out your names again, would you please stand as a group? And audience, let's again hold applause until the end. We welcome tonight Chris Imhoff, Carla Reyes, Carolyn Bush, Fred Jarrett. Good to see Fred here tonight. Fred was, has been here the last couple of years. Great guy. Betsy Jones, uh, April Putney, Adrian Quinn, Gail Stone, and Dorothy Teeter. A round of applause for them, if you would. And I'd also like to acknowledge the co-sponsors of this legislative forum, and quite frankly, we could not do what we do tonight and year after year without their support. There are three mainstays that have been here every year, and we have two new ones this year. The National Alliance on Mental Illness, Washington, with two of its local chapters, NAMI Greater Seattle and NAMI Eastside. God, I love NAMI. Woo! Thanks for being here. You guys are great. We welcome the Legislative Action Committee of the National Association of Social Workers in Washington. And uh, it's a great chapter, and we're delighted to have them here tonight. And another newcomer, the Downtown Seattle Association. They know that this is an important issue. They are on board. The King County Mental Health Advisory Board and the King County Alcohol and Substance Abuse Administrative Board. A big hand for all of our co-sponsors. There are still some folks arriving a little bit late, so again, uh, make sure we try to get them all squeezed in if we can. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a new recovery movement that is spreading across America with people standing up and speaking out about addiction and mental illness without shame and with pride. A month ago, I was in Washington, D.C. for the Unite to Face Addiction Rally. They had tens of thousands of people in recovery from addiction and mental illness. They were gathered together on the Washington Mall between the White House and the Washington Monument. They were celebrating recovery. The rally featured a concert with Joe Walsh, Sheryl Crow, Jason Isbell, Steven Tyler, and others. The speakers included the U.S. Surgeon General, as well as several governors, senators, and congressional representatives. And President Obama appeared via video to lend his support to our cause. Leading the charge, former Congressman Patrick Kennedy, a huge advocate for mental health. The message is being sent loud and clear to our elected representatives in Washington, D.C., in Washington State, and here in King County. What we're doing saves lives as well as dollars. Recovery is an American way of life. And remember, there is no such thing as a hopeless alcoholic or drug addict or a hopeless person with mental illness. We need to keep hope alive. Prevention works, treatment is successful, and recovery is a reality. Now I'd like to ask our honored guests, whom you, by the way, in the audience have elected, to please briefly introduce yourself and the district or community that you represent. We'll start here in the first row. Good evening. I'm Jamie Peterson, state senator for the 43rd district in which you are now located. Welcome. Uh, I'm Frank Chop from the 43rd district. 
I'm Brady Walkinshaw, state representative, also in the 43rd district. I'm Tina Orwell. I'm a state representative from South King County, Kent, Des Moines, SeaTac, uh, parts of Renton and Burien. I'm King County Council Member Joe McDermott, representing the 8th Council District, everywhere from Capitol Hill and First Hill to Vashon, Maury Island, Burien, SeaTac, Tequila. Good evening. I'm Jean Colwell, State Senator, 36th District, and King County Council Member elect for the 4th Council District. Thanks for coming tonight. I'm Kathy Lambert. I represent the 3rd District of King County on the Council, and it is almost half of the landmass of King County. So if you take the county in half, I have all the eastern half. Good evening. Reagan Dunn, King County Council, District 9, Bellevue, Newcastle, Renton, Kent, Covington, Black Diamond, Maple Valley, Enum, Clopton, Snoqualmie Pass. Great to be here tonight. Good evening. I'm Roger Goodman, State Representative from the 45th District, Kirkland, Redmond, Woodenville, Sammamish, and Duval. For the last 12 years, I've also been an appointed member of the King County Substance Abuse Administrative Board, and so I have a very soft place in my heart for you in this issue. Jerry Paulette, and I am one of the two state representatives from the 46th district, which represents Northeast and North Seattle, Lake Forest Park, and Kenmore. Pramila Jayapal, state senator for the 37th legislative district, which just starts a few blocks south of here and goes all the way down through South Seattle, Skyway, and downtown Renton. Linda Kochmar, State Representative from the 30th District, which is Federal Way, Algona Pacific, Milton, and a little bit of uh, Auburn and a little bit of Pierce County. Thank you. Representative oh, Steve Berkowitz, State Representative from the 11th District, representing Renton, a slice of Kent, Tukwila, and South Seattle. Hi, I'm Tana Sen from the 41st Legislative District, which is the east side, including Mercer Island, Bellevue, Issaquah, Sammamish, Newcastle, and Renton, and Beaux-Arts. Good evening, I'm Patty Cooter. I'm a state representative from the 48th Legislative District, and that's the other part of Bellevue, uh, Redmond, and a little bit of Kirkland. Hi, I'm Eileen Cody from the 34th District, West Seattle, White Center, Vashon, and Burien. Thank you. I'm all, uh, Judy Clifford. I'm also a state representative from the 41st District. Good, good evening, everyone. I'm Cindy Ryu from the 32nd District. I'm one of uh, two representatives that represents the northwest corner of Seattle, north of um, uh, Karkik Park, all the way into Shoreline and then into Snowmish County, which includes uh, town of Woodway, little bit of Edmonds, most of Linwood, and a little bit of Mount Lake Terrace. I'm Joe Fitzgibbon, State Representative for the 34th District, West Seattle, Burien, White Center, and Bastion Island. 
I'm Senator Bob Hasegawa from the 11th District. Just a little concerned sitting in a room full of mental health professionals, wondering if I'm being analyzed. Good evening, I'm Gail Tarleton, uh, representing the 36th Legislative District, which is the northwest corner of Seattle, and thanks for being here. Uh, good evening, hi, I'm uh, David Frocht. I am a state senator from North Seattle, 46th District, a member of the Senate Health Care Committee. Thank you. Thank you to all our legislators tonight. We also want to acknowledge several legislators who could not be here tonight, but who are represented by legislative staff who are with us in the audience tonight, uh, representing uh, Congressman Dave Reichardt from the 8th District, representatives from Senator Patty Murray's office, Senator Maria Cantwell's office. At the state level, we have representatives here from Representative Joan McBride, Representative Jay Rodney, Senator Alan Hill has representatives here, as well as Representative Larry Springer. So all of these legislative folks, they work behind the scenes. They make things happen. You have an important job to do. We welcome you here tonight. It is now my honor to introduce our first speaker of the evening. He's a West Seattle native, and he served two terms in the Washington State House of Representatives before being elected to the State Senate back in the year 2000. He was appointed to the King County Council back in January of 2002, and he won election to the office four times. While on the council, he led efforts to slow the growth of King County's jail expenditures through innovations like drug court and mental health court. Yeah, absolutely. He was first elected as King County Executive back in 2009 and was re-elected in 2013 by the largest margin ever for a King County Executive. Executive, uh, as an executive, he led the county's efforts to enroll over 200,000 uninsured residents in affordable health care. He joined Governor Jay Inslee in co-convening a task force to take on the challenge of ending the practice of hospital boarding. And he continues to be a champion for a recovery-focused behavioral health system for King County. His second term, well, he's focused on meeting one of the greatest, greatest generational challenges of our time. And that's building equity and opportunity for all county residents and communities. His groundbreaking Best Starts for Kids initiative is receiving strong support by King County voters to help our region's youngest residents get off to a healthy start in life and ensure that they get the support they need throughout their childhood and early adulthood to achieve happy and successful lives in the communities. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming a hero of mine and a hero of yours, King County Executive Dow Constantine. Good to see you again, sir. Beautiful. Thank you, Neil. I'm definitely going to ask you to do my outgoing message on my voicemail. That was really good. You do not want to get up to the microphone and have to follow a professional broadcaster, right? That is a difficult task. But I have to say that, uh, that Neil's service on the air promoting recovery to people nationwide is much appreciated as we appreciate him 
volunteering his time to be here tonight with us. Thank you, Neil Scott. And thank you, uh, legislators, council members, a brand new council member to be Jean Cole Wells. Welcome. And our, uh, and our mayors, our judges, and others, uh, we very much appreciate you being here tonight for this important community conversation. You know, uh, as we all do, when we talk about mental illness and addiction, we know we're not talking about those people. We're talking about our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and sometimes ourselves. One in five of us experiences a mental illness during our lifetime. One in six experiences a problem addiction. The message of the recent recovery, National Recovery Month was simple. Prevention works. Treatment is effective. People recover. We know prevention works. And I'm pleased the voters of King County are supporting the most comprehensive prevention program emerging in the nation. Best Starts for Kids is passing. It starts earlier. It covers more of a child's life, from birth to 24. People are getting the message that investing in a child at critical points in his or her life is one of the best investments we can make. Best Starts includes tools for early assessment of mental health challenges and earlier recognition of drug and alcohol problems before depressive thoughts become suicidal ideation or worse, before experimentation or self-medication becomes addiction or overdose. Best Starts is our chance to reduce chronic mental illness, addiction, and homelessness in the next generation by preventing by preventing health and developmental issues when they first emerge. Sir, what's the problem? What? Okay. So, so sir, you can talk, you can talk in just a little while, but I'm going to go ahead and talk now, okay? Now, we know a treatment is effective, and we must make sure treatment is available to everyone who needs it when they need it. As you know, this week Mayor Murray and I declared homelessness to be in a state of emergency in King County and Seattle. These declarations highlight the gravity of the challenge. And they call for immediate action to meet immediate human needs longer-term actions to address the root causes of homelessness that include domestic violence, post-traumatic stress, and, for some, un untreated mental illness and addiction. The emergency declarations also make an urgent request for partnership and resources from our federal and state governments. The crisis of homelessness has its roots in decades of federal underfunding of treatment that emptied mental hospitals without providing adequate community services. It has its roots in war on drug laws that criminalized addiction rather than treating it. 
Nationally, thanks to these policy choices, there are now more people with mental illness in prison than in treatment. And that same pattern holds true right here in King County. At King County, we are proud to coordinate mental health and addiction recovery services for the region. Last year, we provided mental health services to nearly 50,000 people in King County and helped more than 9,000 people get treatment for addiction. While we do not have primary legal responsibility for funding treatment, King County has stepped up to fill the gap, to take up the challenge. We asked our voters, and they twice approved a Veterans and Human Services levy. And the King County Council enacted a Mental Illness and Drug Dependency Fund, or MID, to pay for a range of supported services, for housing and treatment. MID is a critical tool. It shows that when given the right tools by the legislature, King County can make them work. The MID authorization expires next year, and we have just begun discussions with the community around its renewal. One of the more powerful collaborations with the state, in addition to MID, was mentioned earlier, the issue of psychiatric boarding. King County and Washington State took action when our Supreme Court ordered an end to the boarding of psychiatric patients in hospital emergency rooms while they wait for a psychiatric bed to open up. The governor, governor and I jointly convened stakeholders and with help from many partners, we opened more hospital beds and increased services like our mobile crisis teams and next day appointments. We are working to fix a deeply flawed system and showing other parts of the country how it can be done. Prevention works. Treatment is effective. People recover. All people deserve the opportunity to achieve their full potential in this life. We've made some progress in the last legislative session, and I thank our legislators. But we, together, are still not meeting the need. So let's get to work tonight, in the next session, not just to preserve critical services, but to build on them for a healthier future. Thank you. Now, Constantine, thank you so much. You know, one of the reasons King County has done so much for so many for so long is a result of the leadership of our next speaker. As a person in long-term recovery, he's been the driving force for affordable and successful treatment here in King County. Please welcome the Division Director, King County Mental Health, Chemical Abuse and Dependency Services from the Department of Community and Human Services, and that's a mouthful, a man I'm proud to call my friend, Jim Volendroff. Jim? Wow, thank you um, all for being here. You know, living with untreated mental illness or substance abuse can be terribly painful, lonely, and at times life-threatening. But we do know that recovery is possible and there are clear paths leading to it. Throughout tonight, you're going to hear incredible stories of people who have made progress, and you're going to hear stories and highlights that we, in terms of how we have made progress in our community to address substance use disorders. 
we will also identify the continued gaps and opportunities to improve lives through the policy objectives that we outline here tonight. And you will hear incredible stories of people who have transformed their lives through resilience and recovery. Although there are clear paths leading to recovery, there are many obstacles that we place in the way. And it is our collective job to end those obstacles. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jim Volandroff, and I am the proud director of the King County Mental Health and Substance Abuse Division. I want to add my own welcome on the behalf of the Department of Community and Human Services, and I want to thank the many elected officials who are here tonight, our guest speakers, and all of you for coming out tonight in such large numbers. Um, what an incredible testament to how much King County um, supports behavioral health services. I also want to acknowledge our large network of countywide behavioral health providers and the staff of the King County Mental Health and Substance Abuse Division who do incredible work every day to improve the lives of people living with mental health and substance use conditions right here in King County. Finally, I want to pay, uh, pay special recognition to one of our division's uh, deputy directors. I think I'm spotting her right over there. Jean, can you stand? Jean Robertson and I have worked together for nearly 13 years. After 35 years of dedicated service, Jean will retire before year's end. So again, please join me in thanking Jean for her many contributions to our system. Now we all come to this work for different reasons. I personally am invested in mental health and substance abuse recovery. Last year, I shared a small part of my own struggles as an adolescent that led to multiple mental health hospitalizations, and I have a deep family history of addiction. But I also have a deep family history of recovery and resilience. So it is with pleasure it is with pleasure that I introduce my niece, April, who happens to be here tonight. April, can you stand? <laughs> April is a firefighter in Kitsap County, and April will celebrate two years of recovery in April. <laughs> I am so proud of you. My recovery, like others, others on this path, is an ongoing journey. It is not a destination. You don't finally arrive and therefore you're done. It's a lifelong process with new challenges and discoveries along the way. My recovery continues to evolve every day, and I am proud to be a member of the recovery community. Unfortunately, the reality is that not all stories of recovery uh, from mental health and substance abuse end in miraculous recovery. Unfortunately, there are tragic deaths and needless incarcerations along the way. Many of these incarcerations and deaths are preventable. We must continue efforts to offer immediate access to quality treatment services and to establish policies that support treatment in lieu of incarceration. There is a growing... Thank you. 
There is a growing body of evidence confirming the efficacy and cost savings of science-based interventions and promising practices. The return on investment is immediate and the return on investment is substantial. These approaches decrease health care and criminal justice costs, increase productivity and economic growth, not to mention improving the overall quality of life. The way we address mental health and addiction in this country is one of our greatest social challenges. Untreated behavioral health conditions cause great damage, heartbreak, and emotional scars. It breaks up families and carries self-destruction in its wake. Individuals with mental illness and addictions are criminalized and make up the vast majority of incarcerations in this country. Mental health and addiction have no respect for age, race, gender, or socioeconomic status. Take it from me, to be caught in a cycle of untreated mental illness and addiction is one of the loneliest experiences you can have. But I can also tell you that most people who struggle with addiction or mental illness are extraordinary people whose gifts remain locked away, untapped, until they find recovery. Now, I acknowledge I may have somewhat of a narrow view of the world. After all, this is my life's work. Um, but I ask you to consider whether there is another issue, another single issue that stretches so broadly across every section of our community, from criminal justice, social justice, family life, education, just to name a few. One in four Americans experience mental illness, and one in six either have active substance use or in recovery. Nearly 14 million people have chronic mental health conditions, and those individuals die on average 25 years earlier than the general population. Drug overdose deaths are in the paper all the time, and they claim nationally 120 lives every single day, and we still lose 40,000 Americans to suicide every year. We continue to make progress, but we can do more, and that is why we have invited you all here tonight. To our state leaders, primary responsibility for funding publicly funded mental health and substance abuse services rests with the state, and last session, you met that need. Thank you for your work in improving our system. Amidst many other competing priorities, you made strategic investments and policy changes in behavioral health that will have long-term effects. These wise investments will increase community inpatient psychiatric capacity, cap fund new capital projects, increase access to naloxone, and fund initiatives that make it easier for people in crisis to access services. We appreciate your efforts and we are committed to partnering with you. We take seriously our role here in King County as we transition to a behavioral health organization and we will work with community providers and health plans to create a truly integrated system with primary health care. Despite significant progress, there is more work that needs to be done. Stigma associated with mental health and substance abuse is real. There is a misconception by some that individuals with behavioral health conditions are dangerous even though the data does not support this. Even when there is broad agreement that services are needed, citing essential facilities can be, challenged, can be challenging. We are committed to working with community members sitting at the table with us as we cite new programs in our community. Inpatient investments need to be paired with innovative community-based outpatient options so we can keep people moving through the system. For people who've paid their debt to society and demonstrated recovery and rehabilitation, criminal history should not be a barrier to employment and housing. 
We need to continue the momentum of last session. We need to continue the momentum of last session and establish a certificate of restoration of opportunity for people with criminal histories. Too many people are dying from opiate addiction. You see it in the paper every day. We need to expand access to overdose prevention options and make it easier for people to access medication-assisted treatment for long-term recovery. The community-based behavioral health system is challenged to hire and retain its workforce. Talented and experienced individuals are leaving our system for better pay with less paperwork. <laughs> I thought that might get a cheer from the audience. <laughs> we need to find a way to reverse this trend. Last session, significant progress was made to integrate the mental health and substance abuse involuntary treatment systems. If we want a truly functional continuum, we must fully integrate these systems and fund the development of secure detoxification facilities. This effort will pay off in more effective system and produce long-term savings. Finally, the outdated federal rules about facility size and substance abuse confidentiality still remain on the books. These need to be revised to support integrated care and the efficient use of new technology and resources. In closing, we have significant work ahead of us, and we need the help of everyone here tonight to help us accomplish this work. I am honored to be in this leadership position and to blend my professional qualifications along with my life experience to help shape the behavioral health system here in King County and the state of Washington. So thank you for attending tonight's event. I hope you find the stories of recovery and resiliency as inspiring as I do, and I hope that you leave here tonight prepared to take bold action. Thank you. Jim Volendroff, he is the right man for the right job at the right time, that's for sure. Next up is the Assistant Division Director, King County Mental Health Chemical Abuse and Dependency Services, Brad Feingold, who will introduce to you Recovery in Action, the bright side of addiction and mental illness, which is in fact recovery. You'll hear from five individuals who are living proof that you don't have to die for a drink or drug or mental illness. The money spent equals lives saved. Brad? Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, big thanks to the legislators for coming early tonight, also making themselves available to the public to have conversations. Big thank you to you for that. <laughs> this past New Year's marked the 10-year anniversary when my family got the fateful phone call that I wish upon none of you. My younger brother, my only sibling, and my best friend had passed away from a drug overdose. That's why it brings me so much pride to stand up here today and introduce to you triumphant stories of recovery and wellness. Our first speaker tonight is an amazing colleague of mine and one of my many heroes that you will hear from this evening, Thea Alphant-Wells. 
Wow, quite the introduction. Um, just in case I pass out while I'm up here, I just want you to know my life sucked really bad. I got some help. It's really amazing now. So. <laughs> my name is Thea, and I'm an addict. Thanks. Now I feel at home. In many ways, my life was a setup for addiction. I was brought up in a family where explosive arguments and drug use was normal. I experienced depression as a child without the ability to label it uh, as depression. I remember thinking of my sadness, just the way I felt. Um, I began using drugs as a teen, um, and of course some of it was partying and some of it was a bit of an escape. Um, I definitely had some trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, which is a pretty common story um, in, with people I know. I went to rehab for the first time as a teenager and I had some success. I did manage to stay clean for a year and a half and focus on school, but my depression just never went away. And, you know, things happened in my life that I didn't feel good about, and I found myself once again escaping through using drugs. Coke, meth, pills, and eventually heroin. I was shooting heroin in the 90s when it was cool and fashionable. At least that's what I thought. I did manage to get off heroin for six years, um, of course, using other drugs to do so, which is a common thing. Um, I had some successes during that time. I had some good jobs. I made good friends. I moved to San Diego and lived in the sunshine. Um, and I thought that I had things pretty well handled. I was still dealing with depression, but I seemed like I was getting by. And then I found myself in a very violent relationship. And throughout that relationship, I lost the jobs, I lost the friends, and I lost the sense of self that I had worked really hard to build up. And when I left that relationship, I was unemployed, homeless, and went back to injecting heroin. The one thing I knew was gonna work to take away that pain. When I came home to Seattle, I had been arrested in San Diego and uh, wasn't looking very good for me there. I came home to Seattle to my family to try and put the pieces back together. And I went to detox, I even went to rehab for one day. Um, <laughs> sometimes you're not ready. Um, and I think part of it was that I wanted to stop using to make everyone else happy. But in my mind, I couldn't imagine feeling okay without heroin. I just couldn't conceive of a happy life without it. Um, for me, that was the one thing that made life livable. My parents eventually um, told me, don't come home, you don't live here. Um, I was homeless, and things were getting worse and worse by the day. And the trauma doesn't stop. You know, when you're an actively using street addict, the trauma builds up. I had no value. 
there was one place, no matter how low I was, that I could go, and I was, it was a place where I was treated well, and I knew that I'd be safe, and for me, my safe place was the Public Health Needle Exchange in Seattle. I would walk in the door, yay! <laughs> I was a regular customer. I would walk in the door and I would feel like Norm from Cheers. Like everyone was so excited. Thea, how are you? I'm so happy to see you. And that was not the reaction that I was getting most places I went in those days. They would ask me, do you want to go to detox? Do you want to go on methadone? You know, they would offer all different types of intervention. And when I said no, I never felt shamed for not being ready. I was like, okay, cool, just wanted to offer. I had a social worker there who worked with me on whatever my goals were for myself. Uh, getting my food stamps turned back on was a big deal in those days, and the paperwork of being poor and homeless never ends. Um, she definitely helped me just chip away at some of those little goals. And in one of our meetings, she asked me, which I later found out was the miracle question in social work school. She said, <laughs> she said, if you woke up one day and you were no longer homeless and you didn't have post-traumatic stress disorder and you weren't addicted to heroin, what would you want to do? Like, as if, you know? <laughs> that was so far beyond the thoughts that I had because I was like, doing the day-to-day -day survival stuff, and I hadn't thought about dreams or goals in a long time, and no one asked me about those things. Um, and so it was really hard for me to come up with what kind of goal I would set for myself. And I thought about it a long time, and I decided, you know, I'd probably go to school. I've always been bright. I didn't do well in school, but it wasn't about not being bright. Um, I didn't like to show up, and I was high. So, you know, there was that. Um, and eventually, I did get clean. I ended up in Swedish hospital for a month and um, following an abscess and some more trauma. And I had a nurse when I was in the hospital, the special kind of nurse, um, that didn't see me as a junkie. She saw me as a human being. And thank you, yeah, she's awesome. Um, and she really spent time trying to help me make a different plan. I went home to my mom and pop, and I started working on some of those goals. I was healing physically, emotionally, and uh, I had a DSHS social worker who, yet again, believed in me, you know? I mean, it's amazing what happens when people believe in your ability. I went to rehab. I moved into an Oxford house for women and children love Oxford. Um, I think of that house as the house I grew up in. I started college in 2006, and when all was said and done, I got a master's in social work from the University of Washington. I'm an addict. Once I start, I don't know how to stop. I started working for the Downtown Emergency Service Center, and I fell in love with meeting clients where they're at. 
I got to work with people like me, people who were dealing with addiction and mental illness and just trying to survive. And I got to help them define what their goals were for themselves, which is huge. In January, I landed my dream job. I am now one of the social workers at the Needle Exchange. In a strange twist of fate, Adrienne retired, and I actually ended up in her position. And so, yeah, very cool. I get to, um, you know, fill her shoes and sit down with people and treat them like they matter. And um, it's a really cool experience to be able to pay, pay that forward. Today, I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a partner. I'm a social worker. I'm an advocate. I'm a friend, and I'm a person in recovery. When you see someone who's struggling with mental illness or chemical dependency, please tell them that they matter, even if they're not ready to stop. You don't know how important that can be. Everyone standing for me? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and Thea, you're a hero. Our next speaker tonight is Beverly Heineman. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm a little under weather. I was the first one to get the flu shot and the first one to get the flu, so bear with me. Okay. My name is Beverly, and I'm, a, I'm 61 years old. I have a bipolar disorder and alcohol dependency. My journey into mental health began in the late 90s. At that time, I was using crack cocaine and alcohol. I was going back and forth to psychiatric inpatient treatment programs where I went five times in five years. I never felt like I knew why, and that it never helped me. <laughs> then, I learned I, then I learned I needed dual diagnosis treatment. While, while there, I discovered more about my mental health issues, and I began to take psychiatric medicine and get counseling, which helped me too. I was discharged. After being discharged, I did an intake at a community mental health center, but I never felt connected with the program and I did not go back for treatment there. I went back to using drugs and alcohol, which let me become suicidal and homeless. Oh, excuse me, a little nervous. <laughs> I moved to Colorado to get away from the people I was using with and to start over again. While in Colorado, I hooked up with my sister, who was working at a transitional housing program and going to school. My sister and I moved together into an apartment. This lasted for six months. 
until my sister relapsed back on drugs. I decided to move back to Seattle because of not being able to continue to pay for the apartment we shared. Arriving back in Seattle, I was homeless. I left most of my possessions in Colorado. I also began using again, and I slept wherever I could find a place to sleep, which usually was with the people who were using drugs and alcohol. Then I went to the Rainier neighbor, neighbor Care Clinic to get back on my psychiatric medicines due to being tired of the whole drug lifestyle. While I was there, I was informed about an agency called Novels. I enrolled with Novels in June of 2012. But for most of that year, I was reluctant to come to my appointments because with my case manager, Donna Nickelberry. <laughs> I was homeless and still sleeping at the home of various relatives and using drugs and alcohol, having a lot of problems with my moods. I also enrolled in the public health clinic at Novels where I learned I had diabetes, which was, had been untreated. At first I had a hard time believing that I was that ill and I did not want to follow, follow Dr. Romero's advice, medical advice, to manage my diabetes. Dr. Romero wanted me to inject myself with insulin because I was a full-blown diabetic with a blood sugar of level of 100, 800. I did not show up for a lot of my appointments because I was in denial about my medical and mental health issues. I was reluctant to take psychiatric medicines as well. I knew that I was suicidal, but I didn't want to tell anybody because I did not want to lose my place on the Section 8 waiting list. My case manager continued to call me and made several attempts to schedule appointments with me. I finally began to attend my appointments when I needed help to complete uh, my housing form for Section 8. And with that help, I was able to get a housing a voucher. I was able to find an apartment, which I still live in to this day. Uh, I also. Thank you. I needed a lot of reassurances and help from the public health medical team to learn how to manage my diabetes. And now my diabetes is at a manageable level. I was able to manage my other health issues as well. I also began to attend my mental health appointments where I started learning coping skills and I found a place to discuss my mental health issues and learn to problem solve. I began, I began to group, attend, excuse me, I began to agree in a group called Sisters Building Sisters which is an African-American group for women who have been sexually and domestically abused. There I was able to be discussed being molested as a child. I get support coming from the group from the other members. We sometimes get together before the group to catch up and just to support each other. As my medical and mental health issues improve, I express the interest in working. My novel's vocational counselor, Alicia, Help me get a job working at the Novels Cafe, which catered to this event. Which continues to provide a lot of support to me. I'm still having issues with my diabetes and I'm learning how to manage it. I've not used drugs for the past two years. At times I struggle. <laughs> 
At times I still struggle with obstacles that I still face. Because of the support of novels, I'm able to get through the rest times. I have friends who support me, and I'm learning which relatives to stay away from and the ones who want me to succeed in my recovery. I am thankful that everyone in novels did not give up on me. Sometimes I think of them as my private snitch team <coughs> because they worked so well together to help me with my recovery. It makes me feel happy and grounded to finally be in a place where I'm living a positive life. And I'd like to give a special shout to my niece, Danielle Beckwith. Okay? Thank you so much. You just made my day. I love you. I also like to, I thought I'd be really nervous, but it seems easy once you get up here. <laughs> but anyway, in closing, I especially like to thank my case manager, my well, since I turned 61, I, they traveled, pushed me over to the old people's place, all right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to especially thank Donna Nickelberry. That is one woman that does not give up. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Beverly. I mean, isn't recovery just one of the most beautiful things in the world? I mean, there's just not a piece of it that just doesn't warm my soul. Our next speaker tonight is Vilma Ordonez, and she is accompanied by her translator, Kathy Ventris. I want to say I'm not just the interpreter. I had the pleasure of being Vilma's therapist as well. So this is a lot to me. Buenas noches a todos. Uh, mi nombre es Vilma. Uh, vengo de Honduras. Tengo dos hijos. Soy madre soltera. Y llegué a, a los Estados Unidos en el 2005. My name is Vilma. I'm from Honduras. I have two children. I'm a single mother. I came to the USA back in 2005. Puedo decir que mis problemas vienen desde mi infancia. Crecí en la pobreza, sin muchos recursos y con mucho abuso de todo tipo. I can say that most of my problems came from my childhood, growing up in poverty, lacking a lot of resources, and dealing with a great deal of all kinds of abuse. Pero fue aquí en los Estados Unidos que empecé a ser víctima 
de violencia doméstica y a, a vivir aislada y manipulada. It was here in the USA that I became a victim of domestic violence, isolated and manipulated. Como parte de mi mismo abuso de mi, de mi pareja, los problemas con el alcohol empezaron y con el trauma que sufrí en mi país fue más intensivo. As part of the abuse from my partner, the problems with alcohol began, coupled with the trauma that I endured and suffered in my native country was more intensified. Mi vida empezó a girar fuera del control e ingobernable. Llegué a consejo y entré al programa de tratamiento en el 2013. My life was spinning out of control. I came to Consejo and entered their substance use disorder intensive outpatient treatment program in 2013. Con Consejo y sus consejeros y con el apoyo financiero de los fondos públicos proveídos a Consejo we lost the page. Just a moment, please. Este proceso me ha ayudado a salir adelante y sin la necesidad de tomar para anestesiar el dolor y el sufrimiento que he vivido. This process has helped me to move forward without having to drink alcohol to medicate myself in facing the pain and suffering I have lived through. Con el alcohol y la violencia doméstica, mi vida había terminado con tristeza y sin esperanza. With the alcohol and domestic violence, my life ended up in hopelessness and filled with sadness. Con consejo y sus consejeros, el apoyo financiero de los fondos públicos proveídos a consejo, fue posible para mí poder agarrar tratamiento y atender mis clases y secciones continuamente. With the counselors from consejo, coupled with the financial support and public funds awarded to consejo, it was made possible for me to become engaged in treatment and continuously attend and show up for my sessions. Le doy gracias a Dios que por medio del tratamiento, la terapia y los grupos de apoyo y la ayuda necesaria que encontré en Consejo, ahora vivo una vida libre de alcohol, libre de abuso y de violencia. I thank God that now through treatment, therapy, support groups, and the needed help I found in Consejo, I can live a life free of alcohol, free from abuse, and free from domestic violence. Con esta oportunidad puedo sacar adelante a mis hijos y poder empezar una vida normal fuera de alcohol como otras mujeres, otras madres y otra gente que lo hacen. With this opportunity, I can righteously raise and support my children. I can start to live a normal life without alcohol like other women, other mothers and other people do.
el impacto del tratamiento, la recuperación de mi vida, la recuperación en mi vida me ha inspirado a ayudar a otros sufriendo de abuso de sustancias y violencia doméstica. The impact of treatment and recovery on my life has inspired me to help others suffering from substance abuse and domestic violence. Hoy en día no soy una víctima, soy una mujer libre y feliz. Today I'm not a victim. I'm a woman, a happy and free woman. La capacitación y la fortaleza que este proceso de recuperación me ha otorgado también me ha permitido ser una madre. The empowering and transforming piece of this recovery process has also enabled me to be a mother. Y salvar la vida de mi hija. Tango Kleenex. <laughs> Anybody have any Kleenex? <laughs> Thank you. Salvar la vida de mi hija trayéndola conmigo como cuando como una adolescente se vio amenazada por la violencia de las pandillas en Honduras. As a result, I have been able to save my daughter's life from gangs and the violence in Honduras by relocating and bringing her here with me. She's here tonight. Leila. Leila. Mi otro hijo. Un niño de 11 años que tiene de edad que vive en, allá en Honduras. My youngest son, an 11-year-old, still lives in Honduras. Un niño que a, a quien no he visto desde que era un bebé. Es, es mi propósito de sacarlo de ese riesgo que se ha que sea reunido conmigo y con su hermana. I have not seen my son since he was a baby. It is now my goal to remove him from Honduras and have him relocated and reunited with his sister and I. El reto sigue algunos días mejores que otros, pero mi gratitud y la recuperación se detienen. The challenge continues. Some days are better than others. Nonetheless, neither my gratitude nor recovery will stop.
Tengo dos trabajos, estoy envuelta en servicios con mi grupo, en eh, grupo de base como servidora de confianza, ayudo como secretaria y representante de mi grupo. I have two jobs. I'm very involved in my home group like a trusted servant. I help as the secretary and as a group representative as well. Sigo atendiendo mis juntas, reuniones regularmente. I continue to attend my meetings and sessions on a regular basis. Por medio de mi oficio como costurera profesional, hago trabajos voluntarios ayudando a mujeres que sufren y han sufrido de cáncer de mama. Through my career as a professional seamstress, I get to do volunteer work helping out women that suffer and had suffered of breast cancer. Diseñando vestidos para ellas y compartiendo mi viaje en recuperación con ellas. Making tailored made dresses for them while sharing my recovery journey with them as well. Mi sueño es que algún día Siguiendo este camino, pueda ser la dueña de mi negocio y comprar mi propia casa. My dream is that one day, following this path, I can become a business owner and buy my own home. Muchas gracias y perdón por el inconveniente. She says thank you, and she's so sorry for the inconvenience of having teared up. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Vilma, Kathy, gracias, muchas gracias. Necesitamos más Kleenex. I practiced that sitting over there over and over and over. I was like, channel eighth grade Spanish. Our next speaker tonight, I'm proud to, not, uh, I'm proud to introduce Ray Dillon. Ray. I'm glad only a few showed up. It makes it so much easier. <laughs> so my name is Ray Dillon. Um, I'm incredibly proud to be here tonight um, and honored to be chosen. I am employed. I love my job, the work I do, and the happiness I finally achieved. The, to have the opportunity to stand before you today, I can honestly say I took the longest, most self-destructive, and brutal path available. On May 27th of this year, I celebrated my 56th birthday as well as the 20-year anniversary of being diagnosed with HIV. I never really did decide how I felt that day. Having lost most of my friends, it was complicated. I had to partner at the, um, prior to that, and we had a large circle of friends, and every one of those friends are dead today. 
Uh, John has stage four cancer right now, so um, when he goes out, let's close that chapter. <laughs> I had dabbled with drugs starting at a young age. And I never really felt like I was addicted, and it wasn't unusual to go years without using. This continued in, until I was diagnosed with HIV, and I believed I too would be dying. While it didn't happen immediately after being diagnosed, it reached a point that substance use didn't matter. I was on a mission to die faster than the horrible way all my friends were dying. I dropped out of school after the ninth grade, yet excelled at most things I did. I had some good jobs, a family, owned my own home, but drugs took all that away. When I was no longer to buy my meth, I taught myself how to make it, which was probably the biggest mistake in my life. Those headline stories about meth labs blowing up, all very true. When something goes wrong, things go really bad. How bad? A friend who I cooked meth with had an accident. When the batch of meth exploded, the roof lifted completely off the house and every window burst. Fortunately, I wasn't there and nobody got hurt. The police called it the perfect case, with meth and chemicals in the middle of the street leading to the house they didn't even need a search warrant. <laughs> yeah, she spent a long time in jail. <laughs> uh, by this time, I can safely say I had a, well, she spent a long time in jail, but my business went way up, so. <laughs> By this time, I can safely say I had a raging addiction. By all accounts, I should have been dead long ago. Two strokes, some heart problems, and a couple of robberies, which including being pistol whipped and having a knife to my throat. None of this was enough consequences to get me to stop. Dale was present, um, my partner uh, at the time, for those robberies. Um, they were not fun. With treatment being, with treatment not being a financial option, I honestly believed that death or jail was the only way out. I was stuck in this cycle of addiction that had taken its toll on my partner Dale, who meant more to me than anyone. When Dale and I heard my house was going to be raided, we didn't run. I sat down and convinced him that the best thing now was to go to prison, do our time, and get on with our lives. <laughs> Making a conscious decision to go to prison is one of the most difficult things you could ever do. And convincing Dale that was the right thing to do was probably <laughs> Second to that. <laughs> Our lives are both better up for it. We planned carefully, cleaned up the house, destroyed most of the evidence, but left enough to get charged with a felony in federal court. This was important. This is what we wanted because they offered drug treatment in the federal prison system. Drug treatment works.
we shouldn't have had to go to federal prison and spend two, waste two and a half years of our lives in order to get treatment. <laughs> the federal government wasted probably four to six times more money on our incarceration than they, if they would have just given us treatment. And I would have been much happier. Several, several years before this decision was made, I was ready to quit. I was ready to get out of the business, and I was ready to move on with my life. Unfortunately, it took prison to do that, and I hope today that that's not going to continue being the case. After prison, Dale and I went our separate ways. I was released to a halfway house in Tacoma, Dale State in Oregon. Living in a halfway house, you have to get a job and pay 25% of your wages because of the felony, no one would hire me. When I finally did find a job, it was so horrible, I seriously wanted to go back to prison. And, that, and that's serious. I wanted to walk out of my job and go back to prison. When I find, uh, low pay and bad working conditions is the reality that most felons face, especially right after being released. This is a social uh, problem that has to be fixed. We can't release all these felons and have them not having jobs and places to live. If we release these people and they don't have a, stand, a chance at life, they're going to go back to doing drugs and they're going to go back to prison and they're going to be stuck in that cycle. When it, gave, when it became time to be released from the halfway house, I had no money or a place to live, and nobody would rent to a felon, so I found some old friends that were still using to stay with until I could get on my feet. Moving into a house full of drug use and never touching any was a huge testament to my recovery. For three months, I lived in that house, that small, uh, one-bedroom, uh, almost a studio apartment, with drug dealing and drug injecting going on around me, and held my course and stayed on my recovery. When I did finally find a room to rent and gain some independence, as soon as the other tenants in the house found I was on probation, they wanted me out. I, it took every dime that I had to finally get someplace, and they wanted me out. And I had no place else to go. So, fortunately, I was able to talk the landlord into staying. I felt alone rejected and exiled from society even though I'd served my time. Why 
Are we punishing our felons after they have served their time? They've paid their restitution. They've done their probation. And it's time to move on with their lives. And yet society does not let them. The struggle with getting reestablished and accepted back into society was probably the biggest, biggest struggle than the recovery. Out of all that adversity, I had a yearning that had been buried deep inside, a dream so far-fetched that I didn't dare let it to the surface. I was done trying to survive by working back-breaking jobs that lasted no longer than three days. It's really difficult to plan your life when you have a job that only lasts three days at a time. What I really wanted was to help people, to give something back, so others didn't have to take the longest route to happiness like I did. Today, after going to college, I'm incredibly proud to say I'm an addiction counselor. I work for an incredible nonprofit agency, a nonprofit community mental health and substance abuse agency, and I do outreach work helping people find their own path to recovery. And Ann Mitigetic and Alex and Donnie Goodman, I love you all. I can't imagine Seattle counseling without you or having any other job without you people in my life. I want to thank Seattle Counseling Service in King County, especially King County since they paid the grant that. Uh, funds my wages, um, for believing in me, and especially want to thank my friend Dale. Dale. Dale called on me every Friday after we were, were released to make sure that I was okay, every Friday. We still talk most Fridays. Our love and friendship has survived against all odds. Thank you. It's time we fix this system. Thanks, Ray. Uh, I just have to say that I truly believe that I have the most amazing job in the world. And it's not just because I get to work for amazing people like Jim and like Adrian, but it's because I get to come to work every day and to serve the public and to create a continuum of care for folks to, to get help and to recover. Our last guest speaker this evening, Serena McDonald. Alone, hopeless, empty, insecure, 
broken, defeated, exhausted, full of disgust, suicidal. Do you know what it feels like to not know how to answer the what's wrong question because nothing in your life seems right? Well, I do, and it hurts like hell. My name is Serena, and these words don't even begin to describe how I felt in my darkest time a few years ago. Even though I wasn't diagnosed with major depression, major anxiety, and an eating disorder until middle school, way before that I started behaviors like biting myself in elementary school until I saw a dark mark. Little did I know what turned into an addiction of self-harm. Middle school was the start to the hell that would be my life for the next seven years. In sixth grade, when the first signs of my eating disorder were visible on my pale white body, I was hospitalized for the first time at Overlake. Food was the enemy. It made me fatter. I stopped looking in mirrors because when I did, I was disgusted with the fat, hideous reflection that stared back at me. In a way, I was happy I was in the mental ward because it was a safe place away from the abuse at home and bullies that followed me everywhere. Attention horror, worthless, slut, no one cares, go kill yourself, suicidal freak. The cruel words of the bullies quickly became engraved in my mind 24-7, accompanied by my demons that lived inside me. My birth mom not only physically abused me, but she also mentally abused me. No wonder why your real father left. He didn't want to deal with you. I wish I'd give you up for adoption. If you want to kill yourself, go ahead and do it. Words really do hurt, and every night my thoughts ate me alive. I felt dead inside. The only thing that made me feel alive was a blade slicing into my wrists and thighs. I became addicted to watching the crimson red blood flow out of my body. It reminded me that I was alive living a nightmare. When I cut, it distracted me. I didn't think about how alone I was. I didn't think about when my birth mom comes home, what she might do to me. I didn't think about how my body would never look like the models in the magazines. I didn't think about how ugly I was and no one could live a girl like me. I didn't think about how I seemed to be the bully's only target. And I didn't think about how I was drowning in my own depression. I couldn't go a month without my blade. A month turned into a week, and a week soon turned into me reaching for my blade every day a couple times throughout the day. I didn't want anyone to see what I was doing to myself, so I wore long sleeves every day even when it was blistering out. I felt so alone. Even in a room full of people, I never felt more alone. January 14th, 2013 was the day I couldn't stay strong anymore. January 14th, 2013 was the day I overdosed on the pills my doctor prescribed to me for my depression that ironically could end my miserable life. I was involuntary committed into long-term treatment after I filled out my suicide attempt, and that's where I spent the night next nine months. The road to recovery is just as rough as the dark road I was once on. Recovery was a battle. The night that I realized that I need to accept help, the night I looked down at my arms and thighs covered in fresh cuts and scars, the night that I realized I am killing my body by purging, that was the night I decided to win this battle. I have been at war with my demons my whole life, and it was time that I won this war. I didn't wake up one day with no urges to cut, and I didn't wake up one day and say I am happy to be alive. Because recovery is a long road, and I'm still on this road. The main resources that have helped me were Wraparound at Sound Mental Health, DBT Group, and the time I spent at the Children's Long-Term Inpatient Program, or CLIP. DBT was a safe place for me, and it was where I finally spoke up about what was going on at home. 
wraparound team got me out of my home, away from the abuse, and found me a safe home with the most amazing people that took me in. Clip gave me the chance to really focus and work on myself. It was also the place that I created the I Care Project. The I Care Project is a community on Facebook and an online blog. I created this project because feeling alone is one of the worst feelings in the world. While I was in long-term inpatient, I realized I was surrounded by people that were going through the same stuff I was. There are thousands of people out there struggling, and I wanted to help them all. Every human being in the I Care Project community are my warriors. All my warriors come to this page for help and hope. I've had this project for almost three years, and I helped so many people by sharing my story, showing my warriors I care, and showing them that recovery is possible. The Care Project plays a big role in my recovery because making other people feel better, helping my warriors reach their highest potential, and being for them 24-7 makes me happy. Even though I am where I am today, without the dark clouds hovering over me, I still struggle. I fight my demons every day, but I refuse to let them win again. I've never been this strong before. I'm at peace with myself, I know I'm beautiful, and I have a real smile on my face. relationship with the man who loves me. I never thought that could happen. I see the beauty in this world and in life. I have two jobs. One of them is a youth peer partner, and I am in college. I put all my energy into my eye care project. I continue to share my story every day. If you feel alone, you are never alone. There is someone out there struggling too, and someone out there wanting to help. It's amazing. I've gone from planning my suicide to now planning my future. Wow. Thanks, Serena. Thanks, Rave. Thanks to Vilma and Kathy, Beverly, Thea, and Olivon. The bright side of addiction and mental health is recovery, and all of these individuals embody that. That's what we're talking about, recovery. We are now ready to hear from our elected officials. Again, if uh, there are any legislators who came in late, I invite you to please come up and join us on stage. And I would like to ask the legislators to, again, introduce yourself and give a brief response so that we can hear from everyone as we go down the line. I'd like to begin by getting a reaction from each of you about what you have heard so far tonight. And we'll go ahead and start in the first row. Um, is this on? Yeah. So, uh, again, my name is uh, David Proct. I am a state senator from uh, North Seattle. Um, I, I guess uh, the first thing I want to say is um, thank you to those of you who told us your story and presented your story in a room full like this. Um, I have not, um, 
think I've, I don't think I've ever heard or seen anything quite as brave and as courageous as what you all did uh, tonight. And uh, I want to just want to thank you for that. Um, um, you know, uh, my reaction is one of um, an amazing sense of um, wanting to help. I want to um, say that I think that the people who are treating and counseling and are helping people are showing a sense of compassion that your, our, our society needs more of. And, uh, and as public officials and as policy people, we can talk a lot about what works and what doesn't work. But I think what really is going to work the most for, for people is to make sure that they have a human touch of compassion and caring and knowing that uh, you're not alone with your struggles. And I can say, just in uh, my own case, um, I have at times suffered from depression uh, and have dealt with it, and I needed people to help me. And that's a difficult thing to deal with. And if you have that in your family or whatever, um, you've got to have people who you can turn to. And you've got to also have professionals uh, who can help you because you don't know what you're dealing with sometimes. So I just want to say, again, thank you to all of those. And, and I look forward to working with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Nicely stated. So again, I'm Jamie Peterson uh, from here in the 43rd District. Uh, I echo David's comments about the stories that are being shared, and um, you know, I wish that they could be heard more broadly. Frankly, uh, there's so much skepticism out there among our fellow citizens about the potential for us, through our government, um, to do good things for people, to use money wisely. Uh, I think about how, you know, right now we're <laughs> counting ballots with this horrible initiative 1366 that's going to blow another billion dollar hole in our budget uh, and the kinds of cuts that are likely to happen as a result of that. And I can't help but feeling that if these stories were more widely shared and that people understood the consequences of our failure to make those investments, that we'd have a different outcome in that election. Um, So I guess I, I um, ask you all to continue sharing your stories and, and let people know because uh, it's certainly not over from our perspective. I will say on the policy side, uh, Representative Bakkenshaw's Certificate of Restoration of Opportunity Bill, uh, which got stopped in the Senate Law and Justice Committee, where I am the minority leader, uh, we'll do our best to get out this, uh, this session and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that that'll make a real difference for people in their recoveries. Thank you. Speaker Chop. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Frank, and I appreciate very much uh, all the stories tonight. That's what's going to make the difference is your personal story. So I, I want to thank each of you who's had the courage to come up here. Let's hear it again for the speakers. Um, just to clarify, you know, I have about ten things I wanted to talk about, but <laughs> will I have another opportunity, or is this it? Well, uh, if you'd like to share some things now, go ahead. Well, just real quick then, since it sounds like this is the last time you hear from me tonight. Um, uh, we, uh, we made major progress this last legislative session and also the previous two years. Um, uh, and before that, even uh, with mental health parity legislation that we passed. Uh, but one of the biggest uh, things we did was to expand Medicaid. 
to over 500,000 citizens in our state. And, and then, uh, due to the great work of Eileen Cody and many others in our um, legislature, uh, we passed a lot of legislation, including uh, behavioral health integration, for example, and Joel's Law, which is another of Brady's uh, bills that he passed. Uh, and, and so we made lots of progress, including also over $100 million in the operating budget, over $30 million in the capital budget. It goes on and on. But we've got a lot more work to do. So one of the things we've done is set up a mental health task force, and many of you actually are on that task force. Thanks, Jim and Adrian and Carolyn and Navos and, and Harborview and others who are actively giving us advice. We need your specific points. Uh, that's why we agree with your agenda. We will do everything we can to implement it, not just passing the House, but through the entire legislature and signed by the governor. Uh, but I, I got to say a couple things more. There are not just serious proposals, but legislative action in other states and in this nation's capital to completely wipe out the Medicaid expansion. What that means is the, the same population as the city of Seattle would be taken off of health care, which now is including mental health care and also other kinds of services. So just keep that in mind. These elections do matter, and you've got to pay attention to what people not only are saying, which you would not agree with, but also what they're trying to do. So please do pay attention. Uh, next year's uh, elections are very important about who can actually move forward. And the expansion of Medicaid was a tremendous accomplishment. Imagine people the size of the city of Seattle getting coverage and then doing legislation to make sure it included mental health care and, and other kinds of things. Just very, very important. But the, the real test of this is not just what our uh, effort is with the Mental Health Task Force and uh, also legislators working on this thing. It's your stories that are going to make the difference. So don't underestimate the testimony is going to carry the day in this thing and eventually we're going to win on each of these battles. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. Thank you very much. I'm Brady Walkinshaw. I represent the 43rd District, Central Seattle. And I'll just echo what my colleagues have said. Thank you for your stories. It's incredibly courageous. And that is what makes a difference. And a lot of you in this room have been doing a lot of work for a long time and working toward destigmatizing mental illness, destigmatizing addiction, destigmatizing coming back into society after having spent time in prison. And I, I think that that work is really going to create more of that groundswell, more of that awareness, more knowledge of the fact that, it, what Jim said earlier, more knowledge of the fact that one in four uh, people in our country, in our society, will struggle with mental illness in their lives. And we all have those stories in our lives. So the more that we tell them, the more lives we're able to change. I... Oh, Thank you. <laughs> I, well, I was gonna, I was gonna say one one comment on 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 reentry. And Roger Goodman has been doing a lot of work on this. We need to do more work to bring down the barriers for people when they're coming back into society from prison. And those are dollars that are misspent. Those are dollar. Those are those are opportunities that are lost. Uh, those are experiences and lives that could be so much better lived if we had the, op the, op the ability to bring down barriers to housing and employment as people come back into society. So I really thank you for your comments uh, in your story. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Tina Orwell, and, and again, thank you for your strength. 
you know, it's such a reminder to me that when people have the courage to ask for help, we need to make sure help is there. And, um, you know, and as we look to the future and all the advocacy we need to do, we need to support um, everyone in recovery and the professionals in the field that are doing this work every day. And uh, I've been fortunate to be able to work on issues around suicide prevention while in the legislature. And it's due to a large team. And, and tonight, UW Forefront is in the audience. And I really want to acknowledge the work they're doing uh, around suicide prevention. And again, we know that early intervention makes a difference. And you know, working on the training of professionals. Um, we're working on other pieces in the schools and higher education. But again, it's going to take all of us working together because we know there's so much more we need to do. And again, I'm just so glad to be here tonight, and I appreciate everything that people are doing. Thank you. As we go around the panel and you talk about your reaction tonight of what you've heard, I also ask you what maybe your priorities might be going forth and where substance abuse and mental health fits into those priorities. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm Joe McDermott with the County Council. And when Neil asked us at the beginning of the evening to hold someone in our hearts in a moment of silence who was struggling or in recovery, the person in my heart is someone who is not in recovery right now, is still very much struggling with their abuse. And I learned about a new chapter of that a week ago tonight and helped her move out of where she was living independently on Sunday back into her mother's house. A difficult week. And gave me strength then to join the mayor and the county executive on Monday to, as they proclaimed, a state of emergency around homelessness and recognize the multiple causes of homelessness and that we need individual ways to address homelessness for people who have found themselves there because of substance abuse, chemical dependency, mental illness, service in the military, um, rejection by their family, for whatever reason, recognizing that we need multiple responses and coming tonight and hearing your stories of success gives me hope for my family member and for what we're attempting to do for our communities. Thank you. Nicely said. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Kathleen Lambert, and I'm just writing a huge list because my heart is so full from hearing these stories. So what I feel tonight is seeing your courage and your hope, and that's what we really need. And I think one of the things, one of the many that touched me tonight was how important each and every day, the little comments that we make to people, the smiles, the hugs, because you have no idea what that person is going through. Everybody has a struggle every day. Some of them are smaller than the next days. Sometimes they're bigger than they after that. So you have no idea. And I think it's so important. And I thought it was so wonderful that the person was talking about going into the needle exchange, and that was where they felt the most at home. And I just really think that that's important, that each of us have a responsibility every day to make sure that we are as kind to everybody around us as possible. So that was a good reminder, and I hope that I can live that each and every day. Um, most people don't know, um, outside of the people in this room, so I'm sure know this, but outside this room, I don't think most people know that the King County Jail 
is the second largest institution, mental health institution in the state of Washington. If you go by direct numbers of people on average daily population, it is the largest. Um, so that is not okay. And when I walk through the jail and I see these people who truly, this is not the right place for them to be, it breaks my heart. So there are a lot of things that are happening right now in King County that we are really going to continue pushing. We've hired a reentry specialist who I think is fabulous. We have some great employees that you've heard today, um, Jim and others, um, who have been fighting this cause for a long time and have really got it down, and we are there to help support that. For the youth in our community, if you don't know about Safe Place, then you need to know that any child that has a problem, you can go to any library, any firehouse, any police station, and any bus in King County, and any time you see the Safe Place logo, you just tell the person there, I need help. That's all you need to do, and help will be on its way. We need to be able to do that for adults at some point, too, but at least at this point, we have Safe Place for kids. Um, I worked in a drug rehab many years ago, um, of course more years ago than I was actually really alive, I want you to know. Um, but in that time, I had the privilege of living um, in a house, depending on the day, from 15 to 60 different people. I was the only woman living in a house with 60 men at one point. Um, and I was the resident woman um, to help them deal with a lot of issues that had to do with their parenting and help them with life skills um, that they didn't learn earlier. Many of them thought that it would have been a lot easier to have their moms back. Um, but anyway, they learned a lot of things that um, I was really appreciative to be able to teach. So it starts really young. Um, and I think the thing that I've learned is to never give up on anybody. And also that the story that has been written for your past is not your future and don't let it define you. And recently, we have talked a lot about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And one of the things I really want to do in the next year is to try to work at a team where when we know a child or an adult has an ACE, that we get them counseling right away. There's no reason to wait until the manifestation of that pain shows up. And last but not least, um, Norm Mailing, who used to be our prosecutor, used to say that we are the face of justice. And that's what we want to be. Thank you for your service, Kathy, and thank you for your heart. Good evening. Uh, Reagan Dunn, King County Council as well. And You know, I have so much compassion uh, for what was said today, and I'm just so pleased to be here. You know, I'm also in recovery. Uh, I haven't had a drink in 16 months. I'm really proud of that. And uh, it's, that's a tough road to hoe, tough road. And, uh, but I'm proud of, proud of that work, and as, a, as every month goes by that, that I don't drink, I'm learning more about the disease, the disorder, the services that are out there, and the services that aren't out there, um, importantly. Uh, you know, one thing, I'm not going to go down too much detail here, you know, if you're a, a patient and you talk to your doctor about your medical problems, that information's privileged. If you talk to your priest, your pastor, uh, about your uh, issues in your own life, that's privileged, or a spouse, it's privileged. But in a 12-step program like AA, you know, you're getting out information that's going to help you be well inside. Step five, step nine. Um, that information isn't privileged. In fact, it can be deposed, it can be subpoenaed. And I have a, a group of legislators here right now. And privilege is created by statute. 
And I think we ought to, since a sponsor and a sponsee, a sponsor is a great way to provide healing for a disease. We ought to make that privileged. So, Amen. so we're going to send some, I hope, with the support of my colleagues, the legislative agenda down to Olympia to, for your consideration on that issue. Thanks so much. Thank you. Keep coming back. It works. <laughs> Roger? Well, thank you. Again, Roger Goodman representing uh, Redmond, Redmond, Kirkland, Woodenville, and Sammamish uh, in the state legislature. And I want to thank you for raising your voices, uh, having the courage to tell your story. also want to thank Cecily from Sammamish in my district for taking the time to tell me her story of um, substance misuse, mental illness, homelessness, suicide attempts, and then the long successful road of recovery. In a strange way, you have told your stories, you're lucky, you're fortunate, and your continuing to raise your voice is your way of sharing that good fortune with others. In, this, in the legislature, we've now begun the process of funding sort of brick and mortar. We're not going to be boarding those in crisis in emergency rooms. We're going to take them to proper treatment and evaluation centers. But we haven't yet lived up to the pledge to fund the trained professionals who provide the services that you have been lucky enough to get. And so we really need to expand that. There are too many vacancies and not enough compensation. Not to bore you with policy words like reimbursement rates, but it's actually really important. So count on me also as uh, House Public Safety Chair to continue my work to decriminalize mental illness and to decriminalize addiction. Thank you. And thank you to those who had the courage to speak up tonight and share. The first thing that I thought of as I'm sitting here is you never suffer or die from just one thing. It's many things. It's addiction and substance abuse and mental illness and diabetes. Which one do we treat? We have to treat them all. And you can't just put people in stovepipes and we have to break out of that entire system and we're trying very hard to do that. And that brings me to the second thing, building off of what Representative Goodman just said, sitting here tonight and thinking, our hearts as human beings listening to you reach out and for those of you who are service providers, our deepest, deepest thanks for the hard work you do day in, day out, dedicating your lives to this. And it's so wonderful to hear people who are recovering and going into helping others. And then will someone just find a way to find the alchemist so that when people put on their policymaking hats, their hearts don't turn into beans to be counted. That's all I can ask. Thanks. Thanks. I'm uh, Pramila Jayapal, and I represent the 37th Legislative District in the State Senate, and it is the most racially and economically diverse district in the state. And what that means is that we have huge numbers of people who are struggling with the issues that we've been talking about tonight. And we also have a huge number of the incredibly talented service providers, social workers, 
and others who are serving those people living in the 37th. So I couldn't be prouder to represent the 37th. Um, I think some of you know that uh, I came to the legislature, this is my first year in the legislature, after 20 years as a community organizer, as an advocate fighting for immigration reform so that families like Vilma's wouldn't be separated and not able to see their families for sometimes decades. And so as a community organizer, I just want to say what a huge shout out to you all tonight for some really great organizing because this kind of work, what you're doing tonight in gathering people together, in creating a community and televising the stories, and in coming forward and sharing your experiences so that you don't become just a counter in somebody's, in somebody's math problem, but you actually become the real person next door, the person in your family, the person who you might run into on the street and treat differently because you've heard a story from somebody here. And so we call that leadership, and I just want to really thank the people that spoke out tonight and shared your stories for your leadership and for your courage and for your bravery. I guess the thing that um, really struck me tonight, and, and I've seen it throughout my work as, a, as an activist and an advocate, is the stacking of systems, the ways in which we have to figure out how we're treating mental health through every single system that exists. It's in the criminal justice system, it's in the healthcare system, it's in our education systems. It is everywhere that we look. And the more we silo, the less effective we're gonna be. The more we think about human beings and what you need in order to feel dignity, respect, uh, care, services, and ultimately resilience and recovery, the more we can think about that collectively together um, rather than saying you have to go here for this and you have to go here for this and really think about how that has to be integrated through all of our systems. I think that's, that's the thing just came up again for me. And then I'll end by saying that on a personal note, I have a stepson who was in foster care for his first eight years, suffered a lot of abuse, um, still struggles, but is an amazing, resilient human being at the age of 34. But I've seen what he went through and how deeply it affected him um, in his early years all the way through the rest of his life. And my father-in-law committed suicide when my husband was six. And it took Steve about 50 years, really, or 40 years to really even be able to talk about it because back then, nobody talked about it. There was so much shame. And so again, thank you for bringing to the light um, your stories, the resilience, the love, the care, and the possibility of recovery. And being able to share that yourselves makes it possible for other people to share that as well. Thanks. Thank you very much. We have about 10 minutes left, so if we can kind of speed things up as we get along, we'd like to hear from everybody tonight. Thank you. My thank you to you as well. Linda Kochmar, uh, Federal Way Representative, uh, uh, South County area. We have a lot of people that are homeless in our area, a lot of people with mental illness and addictions. Uh, let me tell you what I have done and what I intend to do. Uh, I was horrified to hear that our teenagers are not allowed to uh, be in a homeless shelter, and Auburn Youth Resources had eight beds that had to be shuttered because they had no funding. Uh, so in the last budget cycle, I was able to find five, uh, put in 500000 for them to open up that uh, eight beds for the uh, teenagers. Uh, what I am working, thank you, thank you. What I am working on right now with over 300 churches in Federal Way 
is a day, a day shelter uh, that would provide uh, showers, uh, a place for uh, homeless to get their mail, a place for them to find counseling, and help to find a job. And so that's just the, the uh, start of what we hope to have something to build on. We have a number of churches who are dealing with community uh, suppers and are dealing with uh, either male or female uh, uh, shelters in the evening. Uh, and mental health is such a big issue. Addiction is just such a big issue in all of the homelessness. And one last thing I want to say. I think that the young lady who was finding herself cutting to make herself feel better, I think that one of the things we need to be addressing in our schools is the bullying and how that bullying is affecting our young girls and the children that are, are having uh, problems at home and come to school and can't even find help there. So I think that's another uh, issue we need to address. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Steve Berquist, 11th District State Representative. And the stories today were so powerful. I mean, your stories really make a difference and remind me of, of how recovery really is a lifelong struggle and the support that's needed along the way uh, doesn't stop and the funding that we have we need to protect and then we need to figure out how to expand and increase funding for those services and that's what I'd like to continue doing as, as a representative here for us. Thank you. I'm Tana Sen from the 41st Legislative District which is the east side. Um, I often tell people when they ask for tips about advocacy, um, how what they should do, what they should say, and I mean, you guys obviously are, seem very much like pros, because what I always say is really, lobbyists have the facts and the figures, and what you as citizen lobbyists provide are the personal stories. And those are the things that legislators remember, that they carry with them, that they can picture, that they can really hold on to those individual stories to make the issue come alive. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, what I also just want to say is during the legislature, um, when I was on the capital budget a couple years ago, I learned that a third of our jails, a third of the population in our jails either have mental illness, substance abuse, or traumatic brain injury. And we were talking about our overcrowded jails and that we might have to build a new jail. And I was like, no way am I building a new jail when we could provide services for those people instead. Um, and then I also, it also got me to really think about if that is such a, a downstream uh, issue. I really wanted to look upstream and I've been a huge advocate and I've heard a lot of comments tonight from people telling their stories that these issues go back to childhood. And we really need to make sure that we provide social-emotional learning at a minimum in our schools so that kids can recognize their feelings, they can figure out how to self-regulate, um, how self-awareness, to have healthy relationships and what those are, and to have people in the schools who can help identify those and identify those struggling students. Uh, and so I'm really focused on being extremely upstream and focusing on that as a mental well-being component. I'm Patty Cooter, state representative from the 48th Legislative District, and I will tell you that I'm brand new to the legislature. I was just appointed a little over a month ago, and this is my first uh, legislative forum. And I, I feel that it's a very important one uh, to be at, and I want to tell you that I've learned a tremendous amount 
this evening, so I want to thank you. And, and I learned a tremendous amount from your personal stories, which were very compelling, and touched me and moved me deeply. Um, and I was struck by uh, the bits and pieces of some of your stories that reminded me of people that, that I've known uh, and do know and their struggles. And, and this is such an important issue, and it's so integrated with other, um, other issues as well. As uh, an attorney, um, I was a prosecutor. I saw the issues of, of mental health directly related to criminal activity in a lot of instances and uh, really felt helpless at the time because the system did not afford any kind of opportunity to address those issues, so I knew that there would be recidivism. And there was. Um, I also did work representing homeless shelters and temporary crisis shelters and halfway homes. And I also saw the, um, the impact of mental illness there as well. And these are really wonderful resources, and, but we need to do more. And so I'm really excited to get down to Olympia and see what I can do to uh, add to the solution. Uh, and hopefully improve, um, you know, what we're already doing and make it better. So thank you for inviting me tonight. Thank you. Hi, Eileen Cody from the 34th, and you're going from the newest legislator to one of the most senior. And I've been around a long time, and I have to say that listening to the stories made me happy and but sad in a lot of ways because it's happy to talk about recovery and resilience, and I have to tell you that when... It's probably been 15 years ago when we had the first mental health task force in Olympia. We didn't have the words recovery and resiliency in the vocabulary of the legislature. And that is now changed. So that's the good news. The bad news is that we still have the same screwed up system. That it, we, and that I feel like we've been trying to fix it and we aren't getting anywhere. So that the, what I will tell you is a priority for me is the 1713, which is one of the bills that's mentioned as the... We have been moving forward, incorporating mental health and chemical dependency, trying to, to move on that. We have to get the laws incorporated, and we have to get some secure detox because we have a heroin hap epidemic in this state. We cut down on opioid use, but little did we know it was going to be cheaper to use heroin. So, you know, we have these problems that we have to take care of, and so that's what my commitment for the next year is that's my priority bill. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Judy Clever from the 41st District on the east side of the lake. Um, I was, uh, a week ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago, we were in eastern Washington. We were going around looking at facilities and did a lot of looking at mental health and how to develop a continuum of care. And so I really thought that would be something I would like to work on. And uh, I, I came, came tonight thinking this is what I would be would be the most compelling thing about having a place where people, each place you go, you can get transferred and you continue to work towards the recovery and, and getting back on your feet. I have to tell you that we are very anecdotal. Legislators are anecdotal. It's whatever you've experienced in your life or whatever touches you in your life that makes you move forward. And your compelling, bold stories are now my anecdotes. And I thank you for your bravery. Yeah. Yeah. Cindy, were you from the 32nd Legislative District? And as a Korean immigrant to the United States, um, but I've lived here 46 years, 
um, one of the things that we had to deal with within our family was we have absolutely no problem going to the doctor for, let's say, diabetes, but we have a real problem going to for mental health counseling. And so I think that uh, getting that uh, uh, stigma removed and uh, talking about it as an illness, which really is, I mean, why would you ever withhold medication from a diabetic? You would not withhold medic uh, treatment from a mentally ill person. And so I think we need to continue to do that in whatever language we speak. And then in spite of Tim Iman's uh, initiative passing, I think we have to work on increasing our revenue source because we absolutely don't have enough. I'm Joe Fitzgibbon, and the thing that I kept hearing in the stories, whether you know someone in dealing with a mental illness or dealing with chemical dependency or dealing with something else, is that, uh, and something that we probably all felt at sometimes, um, you know, is just that feeling of being so alone, and that somebody in crisis—that's the common thread—is that people in that moment of crisis feel so alone. And then the thing that I kept hearing in the stories when on the road about the road to recovery was that moment of realizing that you're not alone and that there's a whole network of people out there with maybe some who you know, some who you've never met, some who you didn't even know existed who care about you and who care about your recovery and care about you getting better. And that could be somebody that you haven't met yet and it could be that those of us in this room are going to be that for somebody else. And so I think that the thing that I'm going to take home with me tonight is, is thinking about how can uh, every one of us and everybody in my life help to let somebody else know that they're not alone um, because I think that that's the single biggest thing that, that each of us need to hear when we're in a moment of crisis. Hi, I'm Bob Hoskawa, uh, Senator for the 11th District and uh, the stories were very compelling as everybody said and it really pushes me to do my work uh, but I see my job as funding the programs that you, the professionals, bring to us, not to be, pretend that I'm like the, know how these programs, are, but you're, we're depending on you for your advice as advocates. Our job is to fund it. So for me though, the, the most compelling piece of this whole evening was the pre-funk, which was, was where I got to sit down with some constituents and hear what the issues are. And that's where I got the integrating the behavioral health issue on my radar screener. That's where I heard about, we were talking about what's going on. Probably one of the biggest threats right now we're facing as far as mental health community is the shutdown of Western, Western State. And that's huge. We could lose 800 beds just like that because we're not complying. Well, it's a funding issue. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But if you look at the state of the state right now and the people passing 1366 saying we don't, we can't afford to pay more taxes. Well, we have to, if we're going to address fully fund the issues that you bring to us that you say we need to fully fund, along with the issues that the education community, the higher ed community, the, the whole social safety net community is saying we have to fund, we have to raise revenue, but we're never going to get there unless we have a serious conversation about progressive tax reform. We have to talk about taxing wealth, not subsistence income. And until we face that reality, so I see my task as talking about how are we going to reform our system so that we can get enough revenue 
to fund all the programs that you say we need to be funding. Thank you. Uh, again, I'm Gail Tarleton, and you have all been incredibly patient and, uh, and courageous to share very personal stories. Uh, and I am really grateful, and I know all my colleagues are. I will just, uh, I'll say that I have uh, two siblings who have struggled with substance abuse uh, for 20 years. One sister is in recovery uh, for 21 years, and one brother in recovery for uh, 10 years. Uh, it is, it's an extraordinary struggle every single day, but as many of the speakers said, and what all of you know, is that Recovery and resilience are really what is within us, and each of us is stronger than we know, and you will find that strength to make progress. So thank you so much. Thank you. A big hand for all of our legislators and council members. We thank them. We thank the other elected officials and the legislative staffs that are here tonight sponsoring organizations, our neighborhood partners, including Virginia Mason Medical Center, Diamond Parking, Town Hall, Seattle, the behavioral health providers, health and human service partners, the people recovering from mental illness or substance abuse, including all those who shared their stories tonight. Other community members who have joined us in advocacy tonight, we thank all of you. And remember, the bright side of addiction and mental health is recovery. Pass it on. Have a good night. <laughs>